If you would, turn to Mark's Gospel once again. We want to continue with the next parable in this chapter of Mark of the parables. Mark chapter 4, verses 26 through 29. Mark chapter 4, verses 26 through 29. Listen carefully to God's word. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the sea sprouts and grows. He knows not how the earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, Jesus has given us a brief parable, but it is packed concerning the truth of his kingdom. We ask that you would open our ears to hear, our eyes to see the truth, the edification of his wonderful words in Christ's name. Amen. How many of you have what they call a green thumb? Pastor Bill does not possess a green thumb. I can prove it. (laughs) Nor has Pastor Bill ever worked on a farm. Perhaps there are those here today that have worked on a farm or have done some type of farming. Farming has been traditionally understood as a very hard occupation. I was reminded and told of that when I got opportunities to preach in the Cadillac, Michigan area when I was in Grand Rapids, a very strong Dutch farming community. Also, this parable, the parable of the growing seed, and the next parable, the parable of the mustard seed, are easily connected to the parable of the sower. As we focus on the parable of the growing seed here in verses 26 through 29, scholars note that as you view the man... In the parable, as a farmer, it seems that he is not a very effective farmer. He is not engaged in the daily care of the seed grown. 
or the seed sown. And yet somehow the seed still produces a large crop. How can that be? (laughs) There are daily tasks to make sure the crop is nurtured. But this farmer does none of that. In fact, we could say that the farmer here in the text is laid back. And thus, this parable does not portray a real picture of farming. In the natural picture of farming, if the crop is left by itself or to itself to grow on its own without the daily diligence of the farmer, the crop would most likely not be worth harvesting. It would be a poor and a bad crop. Since the parable does not convey a realistic picture of farming, then we know that Jesus must be pointing us to a deeper, a more spiritual meaning for the parable. This is not surprising, is it? After all, as we remain within the context of Jesus' own explanation, speaking in parables, did he not tell the twelve and some others with him back in chapter 4 here, verses 10 and 11, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but to those outside his chosen people, they have not received the understanding of the secret of the kingdom. Congregation, I have already presented a case that these remaining parables following the parable of the sower are addressed to the crowd. But to understand the parable that is placed before us this afternoon, you will have to go beyond the reality of the everyday farmer. Your mind, your heart will need to be transformed into the supernatural spiritual realm of the eternal significance of the revelation of the kingdom to grasp what is going on in this particular parable. Yes, simply put, the parables are a stumbling block to the unbeliever, but they are nourishment to your soul. The soul for the true believer. Those whose only desire is to be fed the secret of the kingdom of God by their Savior, Jesus Christ. Do you wish to be enriched in your heart from Jesus and his word? Do you want to be part of the full grain that is ripe for the days when Jesus' final harvest comes? What is your heart saying to you to these questions being raised before you right now? Interestingly, once again, we have a text, a parable, that only appears 
in Mark's gospel. It fails to appear in Matthew, Luke, and John. Perhaps one of the reasons for this is that its profound message connects easily with Mark's evangelistic theme of the gospel of the good news and how the church must understand how Jesus in his word goes forth into the world. This parable provides extra clarity for those who have ears to hear as to how the gospel of God will go forth calling sinners unto repentance and faith. Let us focus on two points about this parable. First of all, the arrival of the kingdom of God and its production from the Son of God's coming on earth until his second coming, the final harvest. And secondly, the effect of Jesus' word and the kingdom of God in the life of his church. Let's begin with the first point. The arrival of the kingdom of God and its production from the Son of God's coming on earth until the second coming, the final harvest. This particular parable accents the positive, the positive aspect of the previous two parables. Specifically, the light of Jesus His gospel and the secret of the kingdom is no longer hidden. And for those who are truly convicted by its message, they will enjoy the blessings of the gospel being compounded in their own lives. Now, in this parable, in verses 26 through 29... Jesus provides a simple, simple synopsis of the secret of the kingdom, the blessings of the gospel coming into the lives of the people, being revealed to his chosen children and flock from his initial coming until his second coming. That's what's going on and being spoken to you. The unbeliever is not in view in this parable. Not in view. Jesus is focusing upon the person in his fourth illustration of the parable of the sower. Those who have received the seed on the good soil and live godly, productive lives in Jesus Christ. So as you direct your attention to verse 26, who is the man? Who is the farmer? The man is the one who scatters the seed on the ground. So who is that man in this era of the history of redemption. 
It is principally Jesus. And then the apostles. And also the ordained men proclaiming the kingdom and the gospel in the life of the church. Remember the kingdom in its supernatural spiritual power has invaded the creation, the natural, in the person of Jesus. Those who are his have had the curse of the ground transformed by the Holy Spirit, literally transforming them from a life of sin to a life of repentance and faith, embracing the Son of God, his word, and all his benefits and the benefits of the kingdom of God. As we make this observation, let us return to an important point in our introduction. The man, the farmer, is portrayed in this parable as being laid back, as being inactive. One scholar says that the parable presents a quiet theology, quote unquote, about the kingdom. In fact, the man is presented as sleeping, if you notice the text, in rising night and day, in doing nothing to keep weeds and other endangering elements away from his crops. Verse 27. Well, wait a second here. Isn't Jesus always present, sustaining, and maintaining his word? Plus, Jesus tells us that the man overseeing the seed does not know how the seed is growing. Verse 27. If the man represents Jesus, what's going on here? Keep in mind the parable is simply covering the whole era from Jesus' initial coming until his second coming. The seed, the secret of the kingdom is initially planted on the ground by Jesus. It is the evangelistic message of the good news of himself and his word. This parable is a description of the word always positively returning to our God, not in void. It is producing the fruits of saving faith in God's people. The fruits of saving faith in God's people. Also, the reason that Jesus presents the man himself as not knowing how the seed and the word is growing is because he wants to accent that the word on the ground, as the text says, is producing the fruit spontaneously without human intervention. Here's the key. The preaching of the word of God 
has the power itself to produce its crop humbly in the creation. I'll repeat that in terms of the heart of the parable. The preaching of the word of God has the power itself to produce its crop humbly in the creation. Keep in mind that although the man, the farmer, the sower is not presenting, maintaining the crop, his crop, he is not presented as abandoning, abandoning the crop. He gets up, as the text says, each morning to observe his sown seed growing. To say it another way, the reason Jesus portrays the man, the sower, as not knowing how the seed is growing is because the parable is stressing the operation of the seed in the soil. That is, the seed must be allowed its appointed course by God himself as the process of growing and ripening advances towards the day of harvest. Furthermore, based on what we know from Scripture about the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit... It is the Spirit's task of sprouting and growing. As the words are in the text, sprouting and growing the fruit from the preaching of the word upon the transformed soil. It is the Holy Spirit who will apply all the benefits of the good news in the saving message of the person of Jesus to the hearts and to the lives of Christ's church. In this parable, Jesus is directing your attention to the production of his word with respect to the revelation of the secret of the kingdom of God in history until he comes again. Now, secondly, in union with this first observation, the parable speaks of the effect of Jesus' word and the kingdom of God in the life of Christ's true flock. The seed. The gospel of God in Jesus Christ is initially scattered by Jesus. But as we move in history to the final harvest of what has been produced in the hearts of the chosen people of God, those proclaiming the good news must also grasp based on this parable that the productive fruits in the believer, in the church, is without human intervention. Without human intervention. 
the apostles and those that preach the word of God throughout history must understand that the gospel that is sown is solely the authoritative proclamation of salvation through Jesus Christ by sovereign grace alone. By sovereign grace alone. Jesus is stressing, please congregation, have ears that hear that the gospel alone The seed sown produces the blade, then the ear, then the full grain. Verse 28. Congregation, in a very real sense, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and a few chapters following is an application of this parable in real time to the life of the church. That church quarreled of, about who was following Paul, Apollos, Cephas, even Jesus. Chapter 1, verses 11 through 13. As Paul points out, the true gospel in Christ is not divided. Paul does not point us to himself as if he is the gospel. No, he does not. Paul only preaches the gospel that is found in Christ. And how does he describe the gospel that he preaches? We all know that. It is nothing more or less than the resurrected Jesus Christ and him crucified. That wonderful verse that should be on every heart in this congregation. 1 Corinthians 2, 2. For the power of Christ's empty tomb in the cross is the sole power of being saved. Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. As Paul points out in chapter 1 verse 24 of that epistle. It is in Christ alone that the true believer is sustained to the end. Guiltless for the day of Christ. The day of the harvest. Connecting 1 Corinthians 1.8 with our text here this morning. In verses 28 and 29. After all. Please perceive, perceive Paul's humble position as an ordained apostle by Christ himself. Don't miss this. In the context of admonishing the Corinthians, Paul writes to them in chapter 3, verses 5 through 7, the following words. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted. Apollos watered. But God gave the growth. Now listen to verse 7. 
So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Only God. Paul's ministry and life exhibits the very parable that Jesus places right here before us. In the final analysis, it is only God who provides the growth and bumper crop in the lives of Christ's church. As we know, Paul and the other apostles will eventually die. Ministers of the true word of God will come and they will go proclaiming the supernatural spiritual message of the gospel into the transformed natural soil, which is so rich a soil that the weed, that the seed, the word, produces fruitful gospel living in the lives of the people of God. Even in our prayers, we understand that it is not human intervention that produces the grain, the true church of Jesus Christ. We pray, do we not, as a church, we pray that the Lord will raise up men to preach the gospel for the final harvest because faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of God. Romans 10, 17. We pray. We desire to see many to share in that plentiful harvest. That the grain will be ripe by the Holy Spirit. Much too often, the people in the visible church get caught up in so-called gospel ministries that focus upon those who are self-promoting famous name recognitions. In contrast, when you read the apostolic letters, those writers have only one, one God to place before the church and the world. It is the triune God of heaven and earth. And the name by which sinful humanity can be reconciled with the living and true God. You know that name. How you yourself have become reconciled between God and yourself. You know that name. His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. The living Christ. Let me ask you, is Jesus totally, totally sufficient for you? Is his word totally sufficient for you? Or are you looking for more, more in your life? than Jesus. It always amazes me how many Christians seem not to be satisfied 
with Jesus alone for their redemption. As Mark presents Jesus, his word, and his kingdom well into the fourth chapter of his gospel as we have gone gone through in our studies, you have not heard one comment in this gospel about how to be relevant to the culture. Not one comment that Jesus is laying the groundwork for an evolutionary development of his kingdom being set up on earth. Not one comment that the kingdom operates in an individual, in the individual person, or the soul of a human society or nation as an independent entity that works towards or establishes one's human rights on earth in the context of socialism, communism, and democratic capitalism. Jesus is not speaking in compromising with Rome in his day. There is not one indication in the first four chapters of this gospel. Not one comment in which Jesus identifies his gospel with some form of secular social life in his life or can be easily transferred to our day in the garment of some edition of the social gospel dressed in conservative, liberal, or moderate clothing. Let me ask you, do you start with how you view the social and political realm in your own eyes and then you read the Bible? Or do you start with the heavenly nature of God's word and critique the world socially and politically? Can you truly come to grips with the fact that the kingdom of God ushered into the creation finds its entrance through a person. The supernatural heavenly kingdom invades the natural realm and only for those saved in Christ does the soil become good. Only by the word of Christ planted by his word do you as a Christian, sprout and grow. The Holy Spirit is making you otherworldly, not this worldly. He is making you heavenly minded, not earthly minded. He is making you in conformity to Christ and the age to come, not in conformity to Satan and the present evil age. Why is it that some Christians get so upset 
about the political landscape of the nation from their own political perspective and yet hardly bat an eye when the church compromises true biblical religion because of some romantic preconceived view of tolerance. Where is your heart today? Is it given all to Jesus? And only Jesus? And his kingdom? Who places his eternal word before you each week? Each day, which is the sole means to bring you as grain to a state of mature, productive ripeness. Are you ripe or are you rotten? What is interesting from Jesus' parable is that verse 29 parallels Joel chapter 3, verse 13. Put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Go in, tread, for the wine press is full. The vats overflow, for their evil is great. But if you notice closely, Jesus only references in the parable the final day of his kingdom, the only day of his coming in the parable for the believers, for those who trust and believe in Jesus by faith. This parable is to be understood and to lift the hearts, your hearts, lift your hearts and souls, the souls of true believers, those whom the seed and the word of the kingdom has produced full grain, whose faith in Christ and his word has matured from the blade to the full grain, and thus Christ applies, as the text says, his sickle to each saint in his body with the commending words done by the Spirit in you. What are the commending words of the Holy Spirit and from the throne of God given unto you who are faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ? Are they not come from the words of Christ himself? Well done, good and faithful servant. It's all by Christ. The Christian religion is the religion of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
period in terms of the almighty work of God upon you. Let's pray. Our Lord and God, we are so thankful for the gospel, for Jesus the Christ, for the kingdom that is no longer hidden. We hear, we listen, we see the word, we read the word. Let it be abundant and overflowing in each of our hearts. And may our hearts live a life that is truly in union with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit forever and ever. Help us, O God, through thy Spirit in our weaknesses. In Christ's name, amen.